Listen to your favorite podcasts on any device with Pocket Casts. You can start an episode on your phone during your commute, pick up where you left off on your laptop at work, then finish at home on a smart speaker like Alexa without missing a beat. Download the free Pocket Casts app today for Android or iOS. Find us online at pocketcast.com or use the app on Alexa, Chromecast, Sonos, Apple Watch, and CarPlay. Hello and welcome to the third episode in the new show, Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. That's what they call me, Matthew Side. Thanks for getting in touch through the week using the hashtag FredSavSide. If you said something nice, there's a pretty good bet that Robbie retweeted it. Of course, Matthew, can't help himself. Just can't help yourself. Can't, can't. So what have you been up to this week, boys? Uh, Freddie. I'm racking my brains here. I've had, I've had a quiet week. The highlight, or not the highlight, the biggest moment of my week was Storm Doris blew my gates off. <laughs> that, that, that's the extent of my week. That's it. it actually blew the gates off the hinge. The, the blew the gates off. Blew the panels out the middle. It was yeah, wild. Seen where it, I lived. seen it. Wild. You, you had a, a I flew back in Storm Doris from Seville. Um, playing Lord of Leicester fans. Decent result. 2-1 got the way goal. And it was one of those, Matthew, when the plane lands, everybody cheers. You know, instead of singing Robbie Savage's or whatever the word is, <laughs> it was everybody cheered when we landed. Well, to be fair, the Leicester fans have not much to cheer about recently, <laughs> have they? They'll take, oh, they'll take anything. Have you guys flown so much that even when there's heavy turbulence, you don't mind? Do you know, do you know what? Right I, I, I had this bizarre episode in India on tour. After a test match, I used to enjoy myself. So after a test match in India, I've had a few drinks with the lads, I've had a late night, but we're flying at six o'clock the next morning. So we've all got on this flight. I'm a bit worse for work. I'm a bit tired. So I've got on the plane. I've got my helmet on because I can't fit it in my bag and I've fallen fast asleep. You got your cricket helmet on? Yeah, I used to carry it around. I love my helmet. So I put it on my head. Right? You so love I'm your sat- helmet? Yeah, so I'm sat on the plane. Next minute, plane lands. I wake up, jump up out of my seat. I'm going into the overhead baggage compartment. I turn around. Everybody on the plane, their eyes are so wide. There's no colour in their faces. We'd had an emergency landing. No way. I'd slept through it. A bird had flown into engine. One of the engines had gone and we just landed wherever. I didn't even know where we was. Slept through it. Right, now we've got some meaty topics today. Uh, Savage has told us, Sav, that he might even be mentioning some famous philosophers yeah, as part of it. Well, yeah. I'm going to kick off with the question of hunger, drive. Leicester City, 5,000 to 1 underdogs, win the Premier League. They got new cars, they got pay rises, they got justified adulation. But I suspect a little bit of complacency came in. The heroics, that rousing team unity, I think has disappeared to a certain extent. And they've been blaming the manager rather than fronting up for bad results. So to what extent can one sustain hunger and motivation even when one is surrounded by glory? That's the question that I'm going to start by asking Robbie. What do you think about that? Well, I think it was always going to be impossible for that Leicester City side to recreate what they achieved. Did I expect them to be in the bottom three as we speak? No. But... That's a group of average players who've overachieved and overachieved to a point which I don't believe they'll ever do ever again. Where's the point where you can talk about Manchester United when they won all the, all them those trophies? Yeah. 
They will play for Manchester United. So you would believe they are the best players in the world. These Leicester City players just had one season, one moment where everything aligned. The other teams were going through transition. Every single player played to the maximum and they won the league. There's a famous um, piece in a book which I've researched and I'm just going to read it to you, Matthew. <laughs> Pat Riley. <laughs> Pat Riley, the famous coach and manager who led the Los Angeles Lakers and Miami Heat to multiple championships, says that teams tend to follow a trajectory. When they start, before they have won, a team is innocent. If the conditions are right, they come together. They watch out for each other and work together toward their collective goal. This stage he calls the innocent climb. And that is Leicester. That yeah. was Leicester when they won the league. After the team starts to win and media tension begins, the simple bonds that join individuals together begin to fray. Players calculate their own importance. Chess well. Frustrations emerge. Eagles appear. The innocent climb, Pat Riley says, is almost always followed by the disease of me. It can strike any winning team in any year and at any moment. And it does with alarming regulars. I must oh, admit, I'm not big on quotes, but that's, that's pretty good. Is that honest. good? That's pretty I love good that, for me. But, but it does raise a question, and you mentioned it earlier. Manchester United under Ferguson, they would have the money just bang head me head to the microphone. Like Don't head the microphone. But Ferguson, he had a team. It was a young team that won the treble. They weren't expected to do that. It was an unprecedented achievement, and yet he said the thing that was going through the back of my mind whenever we celebrated was how do we top this. How do we get another triumph? I never wanted us to be torpedoed by complacency. Robbie, and I'll come to Fred in just one sec, how on earth does a manager sustain the ability to look at the next summit while they're standing on the last one? Do you think Ferguson was unique in his capacity to galvanise Of course, but he also, had the, he also had the capability of signing the best players. Let's not forget that. Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So I'm not knocking what Sir Alex Ferguson done because for 26 years he was amazing. But it helps when you're at a club which you can attract the best players in the world and you can continue that journey. Look at Zlatan in the cup final. One of the biggest players in the world. He wants trophies. You know, he is a, he is a great player. Therefore, he can see the next trophy. Can somebody like Wes Morgan, Mark O'Brien see those next trophies? I don't think they can. Yeah, I, th I think you talk, you're talking about Manchester United and Leicester City. And every, everyone thinks that being satisfied with something is a weakness. I, I look at some people sometimes who have achieved something and they can walk away and they can be happy and they can carry on with their lives afterwards. I sometimes look with jealousy and think, I wish I could be like that. The problem is Leicester City achieved something which was so unique. Them guys probably sat in the dressing room after. They'll be looking around at each other yeah. thinking, this is not going to get any, any better, better than this. You talk about United looking at the next summit. I think Leicester realistically knew that we were going to fall down a valley. They knew it can't get any better. And I think some of them can be forgiven for being satisfied. You know, I'm not saying they haven't got that hunger, but let's be realistic. You're not going to win the league next year. The one thing which I can't get my head around and I can't forgive is the treatment of the manager. Yeah. That manager has taken a group of players from nothing to now these guys are on social media, they're doing this, that, and the other, trying to expand their profiles, and the manager has played a massive part in that. And it's fine, Casper Michael and these guys now saying, oh, I've got no beef with Ranieri, he's brilliant, he did this, that, and the other. Where were you two weeks ago? When Ranieri is under the pump, 
Who is speaking out for that poor fella who has put everything, his heart and soul? You saw his statement after he was sacked. Nothing but love for the football club. And I don't think the players have repaired the faith he's put in them and the effort... It's been a one-way street. Well, the manager's paid the consequence. The manager's paid the... And the manager will always pay the consequence. Because on 6.06 the weekend, which surprised me, we had a lot of Leicester fans saying it was the right decision. Because what they're saying from for us three in the outside world, not in the bubble, and not a, not a paying fan of Leicester City that go week in, week out, they do want to see their team in the championship. And I, I did get the point a little bit because they're saying we're in the bottom three... We could go down. But my argument is, as Freddie says, it's unique. It's never going to happen again. That man should have been afforded the opportunity to keep Leicester City up. Going back to the, you know, people coming out on social media now, I don't know the ins and outs, but t- I'm going to take myself back to when I'm in the change room. And as Freddie said, where were those players two, three, four weeks ago when, when on the field where it counts, they're not holding the ball up. They're not doing that extra yard to track the ball back. Look at Moussa against Sevilla, the first goal. He should win that ball. He doesn't trap back. They score. That's about desire, hard work. It's not about dedication. That's about hunger. That's about hunger going the extra yard when your team's struggling. I've been in dress rooms when? Five minutes before I do an interview on the telly or, or something on social media. I'm hammering people. I'm hammering the manager. I'm hammering my teammate in the dress room. I'm hammering this. I don't want to be a... Oh, you surprised me, Rob. Yeah. You surprised me. <laughs> then, 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 five minutes later, I'm on the tel- telly saying, oh, I love it here. Brilliant. Manager's great. Can't wait Can't wait for the next game. Nonsense. Yeah. Do you think that after the 2005 Ashes, one of the great sporting achievements this country has ever seen, spectacular and heroic, the next Ashes series that you captained England on was a whitewash for Australia. Yeah, Matt, yeah. So sorry for bringing that up, but do you think, is there any truth in the notion that perhaps after that 2005 Ashes, there was a bit of complacency in the England team. Only six weeks after that, we was off to Pakistan. We was off to play again. And I'll be honest with you, I turned up probably a stone overweight and I wasn't Robinson Crusoe. I wasn't on my own. There were some yep. big lads. Yep. <laughs> We'd enjoyed it. We got beat 2-0 by Pakistan. We got found out. We realised then we're not working hard enough. We're not doing the right things. The fractions within the dressing room had started to appear. But do you know when it really, really hit me? We got beat in Lahore. We're 2-0 down. So we've lost the series 2-0. We got summoned to the team room and we're all sat there, the lads who played in the Ashes, the manager, the coach, in walks the high commissioner. He comes in, he says, I've got some good news. I didn't speak, I've got some very good news for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you have all been awarded um, by Her Majesty the Queen, um, MBEs and OBEs. Right? I've looked in the corner, in the dressing room, there's champagne, there's everything. I'm thinking, well, this is all very well and nice, but we've just had our pants pulled down. We've lost 2-0 in a series. Yeah. And then he goes around, he reads your full name out, your, your name out, your address. You've got to accept your MBE. So Andrew Finsoff, um, Finsoff, would, would you like to say to my MBE on behalf of the Majesty? <laughs> so I was thinking, well, you're never going to turn it down, are you? But at the same time, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Fine, six weeks ago we're up here, but now we're down here. I turn around... I'm not going to name his name, but he played a very minor part in the series. He's cracking champagne up, and it was like, what's yeah. going on? We have just got beat. So I walked out of the room, and it was at that point I realised, probably more so looking back, we have got problems. <laughs> this team has got problems. You know, hunger, Matthew, I Oh, I know hunger. About- I'm always hungry. Right? I'm always hungry. <laughs> and you were thirsty a lot. Um, <laughs> hunger. It's everybody's hunger in sport different. 
My hunger was to stay in the Premier League, yep. to be the best I could be. That was my hunger. Hunger of winning... Are you talking about at the highest level, the hunger to no, win trophies? I, I'm talking about the person, the sportsman, the athlete, doing everything they can within their power to maximise their talent. Mine was slightly different. I was hungry. I wanted to be the best. For me, and we'll allude to it in the next subject, you win or that's it. It's all about winning. However, I could accept losing sometimes. If I come off a field and I know I'd done everything in my power to perform on that day, I'd train well, I'd practice well, and it wasn't to be, well, fine. But too many times where you look and think, I should have done this, I, I got this wrong. But on the flip side of it, to be hungry, I needed disappointment. Yeah. My career was very, very much up and down. And when I got to the top, or we got to the top, I think I got bored. I didn't like it. Where, where's, where's the drama? Yeah. Where, where's, you needed adversity. Yeah. And my career, I got to the top, and then I got right to the bottom. And in some ways, I enjoy being at the bottom more. Because now this is about me. This is about me rebuilding myself, both as a player, as a person, mentally, physically, to get back where I was. Yeah. And I love doing that. I love being. So, would you dumb. like to win the lottery? Huh? Would I like to win the lottery? Yeah, roll over if I can. Not you, roll millions. <laughs> but if you won the lottery and you had everything you could get, would you not like to think, I wish I could have been that person that wanted to strive, work as hard as you're working, yeah. to get. To earn the things, not yeah, but but this is this is the thing, right? Never mind earning things. I, I I've got friends from all different walks of life and different backgrounds, and it goes back to the Leicester argument about people being satisfied. And you know what? I look at some of my friends, and they work so hard during the week, and on the weekend they go out with their mates, and that's their life, and they love their life. And it might not be flash, it might not have all the trimmings, but they're happy. And I'm equating Leicester to that at one point. I'm equating that to myself after 2005. And I don't think that's a problem. My problem is, and it has been, is, hang on a minute, when I was younger, no matter what I had, no matter what I achieved, this is never going to be good enough. I am never going to be satisfied. I think that captures something really important. You, you talk to people who have reached the top and stayed at the top. They're not always happy people. Mm. Ferguson said he never enjoyed winning a title, never enjoyed the Champions League. His, in his heart, he would wake up the next day and he was thinking, you know what, there's got to be something more. It's difficult to be content. You know, that thing that we're all supposed to be striving for because contentedness undermines hunger. Matthew, do you, do you, want, to, do you want to be the best table tennis player in the world? Yeah. But you were never going to get there. <laughs> Why did you say that? Well, I'm just... I'm just being honest. I'm just going to be honest. Listen, Matthew, Matthew, I wanted to be the best football player no, in the world. No, Bobby, you're right. And I, I was I, never going to get I, there. I knew I was But I had hunger and no. you did. But well, I desperately wanted to be the best table player in the world. And it wasn't Carl Preen or Desmond Douglas that were in the way. I got up to their level. The problem was China. There was this huge country with tens of millions of people playing table tennis who dominated the top of the world rankings. And I had that ambition to try and beat some of them some of the time. My problem psychologically was, was the same as what you sort of intimated at in the 2005 Ashes. When I did something really good, I couldn't sustain that drive and motivation. Yeah. I mean, I'll admit that. I can totally relate to what's happening with Leicester. Also as well, do you know what? I, I was very fortunate. I played for the best team in the world for a period of time. I reached, in my profession as all-rounder, for a limited time, probably the best in the world. However, do you know what? Do you know when I got there? 
it was like, well, what happens next? Yeah. It's like, what, what, what is this it? What, yeah. what happens? I'm, I'm still same lad. Yeah. And I've experienced it a few times. I wanted abs all my life. I've always wanted abs. Right? I know, I know. Oh, and then when I boxed, I got a set of cracking abs, right? <laughs> and I looked at them in the mirror, and I'm thinking, yeah. is that it? Yeah. I've got a set of abs, well done. And the problem is, whatever I, I used to do, I was never satisfied. I think it's only with time and growing up and actually being thankful for the things I've got. And it's going back to, it's not cars, it's not houses, it's not holidays. It's the, it's going back to what are the most important things in your life. Yeah. My kids, my wife, my family, my friends. And it's going back to that. Ultimately, sport, I, I hate saying it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But there's things in life which do. Well, let's just bring it's it very all the way deep, back. That, that isn't it? That is. I thought Robbie was going to come in with a philosophy, but closing this topic off, it's a difficult one, really, because we all feel deep sympathy for Ranieri. But does he have some accountability for the lack of cutting edge that Leicester have displayed this season? For me, never mind coming out on Instagram now. I think the biggest thing is that group of players, that those fans, and that manager win it together. Mm. One man, one man has paid the consequence for for. The ability this year not to even be mid-table, but in the bottom three. But the same group of players are one goal away and one clean sheet away from the quarter-final of the European Cup. Yeah. But in the league, they're in the bottom three. So is that the manager? Is that the mentality of the players? Because they had cars, they had new contracts, they had photos with Will Farrell. They went to Los Angeles on pre-season instead of... Yeah. Um, Clitheroe or whatever. I'm just, I'm just Clitheroe. Let's go on preseason to Clitheroe. I just think that. Where's your Southampton go? Wally. I just thought of a place. I just thought of a place. I don't know. I know you thought of a place. Why Clitheroe? I don't know. I know do I. But oh, you see yeah, what I mean? Oh. Their their life has changed. Yeah. And how, did they have the hunger, the desire to replicate, not win the league because I don't believe that could be possible ever again. But to stay in the Premier League and it's going to be very tough for him. And to add to your point, Ranieri, could he have been a bit more ruthless? Possibly. I can only equate it to my career and coaches I've worked with. And for the bulk of my England career was with a coach I did not particularly get on with, Duncan Fletcher. And it's been well documented and he spoke about it and I've kept tight-lipped. Um, but it comes a point where you fight it. Mm -hmm. and you backbite and you talk about him and you get off in your groups. I, I've done it, don't get me wrong. But then one day you realise, hang on a minute, he's here. He is here. Now, I can let this affect my career. If I carry on like this, I'm going to be out of the team, I'm not going to perform, I'm going to be a disruptive influence, I don't want to be. So you get your head down. And when Duncan started struggling, as we all did, and it was a 2006-07 or 2007 World Cup, when he was coming to the end of his career, and people were speaking out within the dressing room saying, Duncan's great. I never did. Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't want him to carry on. Yeah. I wanted a change of coach. I wanted someone I could work with better. And one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced was, was having a training session in the West Indies in the World Cup. And Duncan, mid-training session, he drags everyone in and he says, OK, guys, we're going to have a jet. So, right? So <laughs> we, 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 From Zimbabwe. <laughs> but but, he's, but he's, his mother's from, <laughs> India. Mother's from India, yeah. So, 
we, we get there and he starts talking to the group. He says it's been a long time and I, I think we have to move on and I, I'm going to resign. So I'm looking around this group of people, right? Michael Vaughan's crying. No, he's crying. no, he's not. Why are you crying? Paul Collingwood's trying to cry. No. And I'm looking at Steve Amerson, wanting to high five and hug him. I'm thinking. <laughs> Michael Vaughan was crying. He was crying. No. He, was, he gave a speech Yuck. about Duncan. He was crying. He was welling up with tears coming down his eyes. Paul Collingwood's trying to cry as well. <laughs> One of the lads, Paul Nixon, keeper from Leicester, he's trying to cry. He must have been squeezing his legs, trying to get some tears in his eyes. Or he's got chilli on his fingers and he's rubbing it in his eyes. And I was thinking, this is good. We're going to move forward forward i'm gonna have a coach who will come in and peter moore's came in didn't last long but i'll be honest with you i love working under peter moore's from what i had before yeah but getting back to but you never disrupted i mean you kept time I, was a bit, I was a little bit disruptive in other ways yeah. and i would be lying to say that through whatever six seven years i didn't have a pop at him to other people of course i did i'm sure he did with me as well yeah but I'd like to think that I remain professional. So Matthew, the on, on, on a... Get a Kleenex out. He's off again. On a philosophy <laughs> and um, intellectual um, part of the show, how do you keep the hunger then to end this, end this topic? How do you keep the hunger? I think, it's, I think it's genuinely difficult because it goes back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, that to be hungry, you have to lack something in your own mind. There needs to be a desire to find something you don't currently have. You know, it's the opposite of being happy. You know, when you're happy, you feel content. You don't feel the need to wake up at six in the morning so, to go so, out and do the thing. So I think, you know, the serial winners, the serial winners like Steve Redgrave, who Freddie admires so much. Um, he's, a, he's a cracking roller. <laughs> great motivational speaker. Um, I think that they were not happy people. I think that gave yeah. them that pathological desire to wake up early, to go to bed late. And... I think in my experience... So the serial winners will never be happy? I you, think that you, you, can't be, you can't be happy. You've got to have really? something within you saying, there's something I'm lacking in life, and that's what gets you up early. I do think you, there's a real think, conflict between those two things. Do you think then, Matthew, that serial winners are insecure? I think that that is... Some a, of the most I successful think, yeah, people yep. I have played with have been the most insecure. Couldn't agree more. And I will, I, I'll be really honest with you now. As a player... I, did, I didn't need people all the time to tell me I was this, that, and the other. I didn't need that. However, inwardly, yep. I was very insecure. You know what you say about insecure? Just a quickie. I was the most insecure person ever to the point where when I signed for Derby and I was having a shocker, I, you know those, those chat boards, I made up a name and went on them. I used to say, Robbie played well today, didn't he? <laughs> 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 oh, I did, I did, I did. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not dusting over this. This is, this is got thanks, Robbie. This is going to move. This is going to run and run. Can you do me a favour? Seriously. What name did you use? I can't use? remember. The Big Blonde. <laughs> the Adonis. The Bombshell. Savage the Ram. <laughs> Seriously, I was that insecure. And I used to phone newspaper reporters up. Well, if I got a six or a five in the paper and said, what are you talking about? What game are you at? I was at least an eight. Got a nine. <laughs> I was so insecure. And I'd phone the So coach. is that why this podcast keeps getting up the charts? <laughs> how many, how many aliases have you got? But I was so insecure as a person. I could have the best game in the world, and I still think, am I going to be playing next week? Just one thing on hunger. We've talked about people with no hunger or people who lack it. Now, I'm just going to mention one person. To me, he is the very ultimate athlete 
for hunger, desire, drive, slightly controversial, Lance Armstrong. Let's be oh. honest. We got a man here who everything was to. He's, he's one note now, like. But in his pomp, he had what six or seven Tour de France's, and everything to him. He would do anything. He wanted to stay at the top so bad that he would do anything. And on the flip side, I would sooner be satisfied than that. You're listening to a BBC Five Live podcast. Flintoff, Savage and the Ping Pong Guy. If you like this, you might also like this. The Danny Baker Show. We've got a goat <laughs> and we've got a breath. <laughs> yeah, you are. To find out more about our range of podcasts, click, tap or swipe bbc.co.uk slash five live. Okay, topic two. Um, and I think this is a fantastic one. This is Freddie's topic. Sport oh. is about winning. Therefore, why in the Olympics do people get celebrated for coming second and third by getting a silver and a bronze medal? Freddie. Right, this subject I've been thinking about all week, and I've been thinking, is it the right thing to do? This is going to get some. This is going to get some comeback. There's going to be some Olympians out there getting the knickers in a twist. <laughs> all right, but what what I want to get across is we've just spoken about drive and winning, yep. and I won't put myself at the top of that. But what I cannot get my head round is, and it might be me, it might not be them, it might not be the Olympics or athletes. I can't understand how you get beat and you're happy. How can you stand on a podium and get a medal that isn't gold and enjoy it? How can you jump in a swimming pool? And this, this here, right, is, this is not by any stretch of imagination having a pop at Tom Daly. This is something which I, I did not yep. understand. In 2012, in the Olympics, Tom Daly came third. Right, he's jumped in the pool. All the support staff have jumped in the pool. He's running around. He's so happy. I'm thinking, Tom, straighten your toes. You might have got gold. I'm thinking, why you? Why? Why? How can you be happy? I was watching the TV, and it's not a crack at him. Maybe it's a crack at me. I'm thinking, Tom, look at the lad who came second from China, Bo Kwai. He's just stood in shower having a wash. (laughs) He's looking at you, thinking, what are you doing? The winner, David Boudia from America. I must admit, I've had these research. He's, he's, he must be thinking, hang on a minute, mate. I have won. I know we're in London. I know you've got a medal, but mine's gold, big lad. Why, why are you doing this? And I just can't, I can't get my head around it. For me, sport, yes, there's so many things which are beautiful about sport. But when you get to that level, it is about winning. Whatever which way you can, win. Sav, before I come to you, let me just broaden it out a little bit. Think back to the 1980s. We were at school... Primary school, we'd play rounders, and the teacher, because he didn't want anyone to be upset if you won or if you lost, you got a medal, both teams. And it, I think it deprives young people, this idea of celebrating defeat, it deprives them of the pain that comes when you learn. How on earth are you supposed to learn yeah. from your failures and your defeats if you never lose, if you're always getting prizes? There's a philosopher there, Hegel. <laughs> the Escalator Life. Who? Right? Learn from your defeats. Hegel. Yeah, but I've got another one here for you. Go on, then. What about this? Talk about medals, right? Philosopher Albert Camus. You know him? Camus. Yeah, him, yeah. <laughs> Camus? <laughs> Sounds like he's a camel. Camus. Oh, yeah. It's, it's him. <laughs> Albert, <laughs> Albert Camus. <laughs> Is it Austin here? Have you got very red? Albert Camus. Have you got no, any on. It's I Camus. I asked, yeah, it's him. I yeah. asked you before if you had any philosophers. You said, yeah. I'm not telling you. Albert Camus. I want to, I want to say them on anyway, air. How listen, do you feel now? He wrote, he, wrote a, he wrote a book about Greek blog, Syphysis. <laughs> 
<laughs> what? What are you wrong about syphilis? I tell you, did he do syphilis. a follow up on herpes and got her here? <laughs> You're reading yes. about a man who writes about <laughs> syphilis. Syphilis. It was a killer back in them days. Syphilis. What's it called, man? Like syphilis. What's it called? Syphilis. It's a bloke. It's a great bloke. I mean, let me finish. So, Camus wrote a book about Greek bloke Syphilis, right? Who spent his life pushing a rock up a hill, and at the end of each day, the rock kept rolling back. Down the hill. That task was given to him each day by God to be the best he can be. It's a challenge which should be continued, just as Olympic medals are. So if you finish bronze, your next challenge is to win silver. Yeah, but how your you next sp- challenge is to silver, win the gold. You just can't go straight in a gold level or go home. Look at look at look at footballers. <laughs> if you get released by a football club, I tell you what, I failed. I'm gonna give up now. But Freddie's not saying that. What he's saying gold is... Gold or gorm, he's saying. No, he's saying that... I am, I'm saying gold or yeah. gorm, but I'm but saying strive for better. Celebrating for success. Better. He's going to talk about Wales. But you shouldn't be celebrating the failures. It shouldn't be bronze, all the focus bronze? on someone becoming bronze. It should be, that guy's just won gold. How can I get to where he is? How are you supposed to go on that journey when you're getting the acclaim? You're getting the adulation for coming third. Right, I'm, I'm going to tell a story about myself here, which... You might find that I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell and the viewers will probably be shocked. Viewers? I'm telling this story if it kills me. Right? So, when I, was, when I was 11 years old, I was a chess player. Right? I played for yep. Lancashire at chess. And how it used to work out was you had boards. Each was seeded. So your board one was your best player. He's your chess ninja. And it goes down to 30. <laughs> now, I was mid-20s. I was, I was somewhat of a maverick at chess. I could plan three or four moves and I'd just move a pawn for the sake of it. Right? <laughs> so we was playing against Staffordshire. Staffordshire have got the best chess player who's ever walked the earth at that age, a lad called Sebastian. Used to wear a duffel coat all the time. He had ginger hair as well. I remember him. <laughs> and I played against him. I was a sacrificial lamb. I'm put on board one to get beat, to take one for the team. So we sit down, we start our game. It's timed. For those people who are not all fair with chess, you have a clock. Each time you make a move, press you clock. press your button, and his time starts ticking out. Mm-hmm. You get an hour. We've been playing for 20 minutes, right? And Sebastian has moved, and he's not pressed his clock. The, the, the correct thing would yeah. have been to say, come on, mate, press your clock. However, I knew I cannot beat this man properly. I've got to find a way of beating him. I sat for 40 minutes <laughs> looking at the board, scratching my head, and then after 40 minutes, his little flag dropped, and as he realised what's going on, he started bellowing and crying in this sports hall <laughs> in Staffordshire. And I was sat there, I got hauled up in front of the Chess Federation for unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> but I walked out there, I fired my teammates, I have won. And I bet you he learned a lesson from he that. He learned a lesson. Never Press your button. Again. Yeah. Press your button, you get an hour. As, a, par- as a parent, Robbie, yeah. if your children don't win, yeah. how do you react to that? I'm, uh, honestly, as long I am of, of the parentage, if that, that's the word, is it? <laughs> is that chemist? I don't know. <laughs> that from. I'm, I'm a parent that my boys, if they do their best and they enjoy themselves, Matthew, honestly, I'm, of course, if they win, I'm a, I'm a proud father, you know. But I just of the of the attitude, if they enjoy themselves and if they compete and if they give their best, I'm happy. My my attitude towards that is, kids, you play to win. You're not turning up here. You're not making the numbers up. You're not here to have a lovely day out with your friends. You're here to win. <laughs> win. Do if you don't the... win, you're not coming home in my car. <laughs> what about what about Wales then, Fred? Wales. 
Well, it's celebrating three million coming, people. Celebrating that was brilliant. No, coming semi-finals of the Euros. I, no, but th- th- this is this is the thing, right? Where you get back to the kids, and I was joking a second ago before <laughs> the missus goes wild. Right. What what I think I think people find their level at sport. Mm-hmm. So if you're an Olympian, your level is the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. You're striving to be the best. You're striving for gold. If you're a Saturday afternoon footballer or a cricketer, that is your level. That is your Olympics. That is your cup final. You're being the best in that division. You're being the best to your standard no matter what. My kids, right? Kids, I've got a problem when they do these sports days and nobody wins and everyone and they play football and they don't get any points. Nobody knows who's winning. Pointless. You will find your level. And for me, it's about being the best at that level. And my children will find the level they're at. So far, they're doing well. They're playing a successful side. Mm -hmm. But I know for a matter of fact, as they move up in the ranks and get better and better, they will get found out at some point. And it all goes back to, well, now you make a decision. Do I want to carry on with this? Do I want to strive to be better? Or do I want to keep getting beat every week? Do I drop down a level, find my natural level? And you talk about Wales. I became a Welsh fan during the Euros. I was desperate for Wales to do well. I wanted him to get to the final when England went out. I wanted him to win. I thought it was brilliant. This wave of excitement behind Wales was amazing. But, and I'm not going to begrudge them an open-top bus trip, because I'll tell you the fun. (laughs) Right. <laughs> Can you remember yours? Oh, I have flashbacks. <laughs> right, the, the fun. However, I'm not sure they should have had one. Of course they should have. They've done it. They came fourth. But, but they've got to the semi-finals. Exactly, this... semi-finals. All right, I'll collate it to, what was it, when England got to the semi-final of the World Cup. But England and should. And then they paraded around Gaza with his false boobs on and all England that. England should do that. That's why England should England should be in semi-finals. No, that's that's Eng... disappointment for England semi-finals. The question I'm asking, Robbie is when you start to celebrate people who have lost, doesn't that undermine yes. the very notion of sport, which is about winning, excellence, being the best in but the world? But a bronze a bronze medal for one Olympian might be like a gold, Matthew. Well, OK, uh, Robbie, OK. If you'd have won bronze, if you'd have okay, won bronze, okay. if you'd have Olympic yeah. bronze... Yeah. Because what were you? About hundred in the world. I've got to tell you. But... What were you? <laughs> I, I got you... twenty. I got to t- okay. What were you in the world? Okay, I'm going to answer. I got to twenty three in the world. And do you know what? My first Olympic games in Barcelona, I performed above expectation, and I got to the last thirty two. Do you think I should have had an open top bus parade around? No, not, la- not last day, do you? No, <laughs> but I did above no, my expectation. You're no. saying you should be celebrated for being above it. the semi finals. I want to give you an oyster card. Never mind an open top bus. <laughs> answer the question. If you got a bronze, would you have celebrated? Yeah, but I wouldn't have expected... Yes, you just said yes. I would, have, I would have celebrated myself, but I wouldn't have expected there to be public adulation in the way that Freddie is describing for Tom Daly. Jess Ennis. Jess Ennis. Yeah. Come on, what about Jess Ennis? All right, then Jess... I'll tell you about Jess Ennis if you want. I will tell you about Can't Jess wait. Ennis. Jess Ennis, amazing athlete, OK? She does it all, does that heptathlon. She won gold in 2012. Yep. In Rio, she she got silver. And I've, I I know what she said. I've got a quote here from Jess Ennis. I'm just so emotional. And yes, I've got to make a decision as whether this is my last heptathlon or not. She was disappointed that she won silver. Now, this is, this is where the argument, it doesn't change. But for women, I think it's different. And hear me out on this one, Rob. When I was Jess Ennis's age, I decided we were going to start a family. That does have no impact on me as a sportsman. Mentally, it does, because I've got to stay up all night. But it doesn't affect my body. It doesn't affect my training. I can go and do it. Jess Ennis has a decision to make. Yes, I am disappointed in the fact that I've got silver. What is more important in my life 
You can't do both. You can't come back from that. So Jess Ennis is a little bit of a conundrum. However, I like her spirit. I like the way in which she was disappointed at winning a silver. Mm. And what's she going to do? Look at Kelly Holmes then. Kelly Holmes. Let me tell you about Kelly Holmes then, right? You know, going about Kelly Holmes. <laughs> Atlanta Games, 19, 1996. 800 metres, she come fourth. Mm-hmm. 1,500 metres, she come 11th. Sydney Olympic Games, 2000. 800 metres, she come third. 1,500 metres, seventh. Then, in Athens, 2004, she won two goals. If she'd have had the thing, right? Gold, I'll go home. She wouldn't have competed in No, but this is my point. This is my point. This is my point, Robert. You've misinterpreted. Go or go home. Yes, go home, work harder and come back. She is a shining example of exactly what I'm saying. She was not satisfied. She wasn't celebrating them dodgy results. She wanted gold. That's what she wanted. She was going for gold. This, to me, epitomised, back in the day, the outlook of Australia and England. Andrew Simons. Australian all-rounder. Played with him, played against him. This lad was mustard. He was brilliant. As a team man in the dressing room at Lancashire, amazing. Win at all costs. I'm going to try and win. I'm going to drag you all with him. When he was at Kent, he had a motivational speaker coming, right? He told me the story. They were sat at Kent. My big mate, Rob Key, Keys, you know, they got him in. They got a runner in, Roger Black. Came in with his silver medal. And he started up. This is, this is second-hand, so... This is what I was told by Andrew Simons and Keezy. Is that he stood up and he said, this is my gold medal. And Simo was, mate, you're having a laugh, it's silver. We've <laughs> right? had a few, we've had a good impressions today, haven't we? Well, I'm to Rory Bremner. He said, no, it's silver. He said, he said, no, this is my gold medal because I couldn't run any faster than what I run. The fellow who beat me had a better PB. He had to have a bad day for me to win. This is, I'm so happy with this. This is my gold medal. Andrew Simons got up, walked out, and said, That is the problem with British sport. Yeah. You settle for less. Yeah, but that I, was I, his. Do you know what? Can I just come in on yeah. that? And I, I think that is so true. And when I was coming through, the idea that we celebrated the blocky loser, that somehow there was something about Britishness, the loss of empire, we'd lost our self confidence as a nation, we couldn't compete with new nations like Australia and the United States. I think one of the really great turnarounds has been the injection of ruthlessness into British sport. We're now, most of the time, I think with exceptions that you've described, Freddie, we are looking to win gold. We support those sports that can win gold. We cut out those sports that are incapable of winning gold. That ruthlessness, there's nothing wrong with that. We can still celebrate people who do as well as they can and they have that gutsiness. We want people who are resilient, but you have to also have that ruthlessness. If you really want to compete, you sanitise or take the pain out of defeat and you never develop the resilience that is absolutely central psychologically to reaching your potential. I'll give you one example. Henry Ford bankrupted two companies. He learned crucial things. The car guy. The car guy, before he created the company that changed the world resilience we need young people and older people who are resilient and if you start to take away the pain and the difficulty of failure of losing of not coming first by celebrating too much as a nation in our culture i think that's very damaging Couldn't so arsenal so arsenal do you disagree with arsenal celebrating getting the champions league yes. i do disagree with that completely yeah totally second never went champions league th- would it Tell you what, Freddie, I think we've beaten him. He's, he's, no, he's I'm not. I just think, I just think. Camus okay. Kem- has disappeared. So, do, do you know what? There's two people I'm going to finish on here. The first one is Sir Steve Redgrave, right? <laughs> Sir Steve Redgrave. How many goals has that man won? Five. five. Right, he's won five goals. This man, to me, you look at him, 
And he doesn't look like an athlete's uncle, does he? Let's be honest. He's a, he's, he's a, he doesn't, does he's he? He's massive. He's, yeah. yeah, so he's found something he can do. He can roar. And him, he's just him. thought, I want to win gold, gold, sir, gold. Sir, you mean sir? Not well, him. Steve, Steve, sir, him. Steve. Sir. You look at him. He epitomises to me what yeah. you can do. Because yep. you look at him and you think, no, what are you going to do? You do, though, let's be honest, don't you? You know, you think of an athlete, you think of an athlete and you, you don't think of the likes of me and Steve and Matthew Pinsent, do you? No. You think of people who are ripped and they've got abs and they've got guns and all that. They don't expect yeah. that. But Steve Redgrave, all he did was, when he was training and rowing, because rowing's boring, Robbie, and it's hard work, right? He's just thinking gold. He's not thinking, oh, I'd settle for silver doing this. No. He's thinking, I'm going for gold. Gold, gold, that's it, gold. And when he hurts, when he was rowing, because to me, rowing is about mental strength. Because when you row, you've been on a rowing machine. That's hard, yeah. And you start hurting your body. It's so easy to be satisfied. It's so easy to think, you know what, I've done all right. But no, not Sir Steve Redgrave. Not the likes of Steve and Matthew. They go the extra yard. All they think about is winning. And that, to me, is a winner. On the flip side of that, Eddie the Eagle Edwards. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. To me, Eddie Eddie the Eagle is the bravest sportsman I have ever seen in my life. He used to go down a ski jump. He didn't even know if he was going to land. He didn't know if he was going to break his neck, break his leg, or just walk away, fine. Eddie the Eagle Edwards, I'm not celebrating his achievements. I am celebrating Eddie the Eagle Edwards for being the bravest man who's ever been in sport. Okay, on to topic three, and this is Robbie's topic. We're going to talk about controversy. We see a lot of it in football, in sport, the sacking of Ranieri, diving in football, referees making mistakes. The question is... Do we want to eliminate controversy from sport to make it purer, just about what happens on the field of play, or is controversy part of the narrative that makes sport great? Robbie? I think controversy is one of the reasons why we watch sport. I really do. Let's, there's, we can take different sports. Let's look at snooker. Ronnie O'Sullivan. Yep. Every time he plays, I watch. What's he going to say after? Yep. What's he going to do? Is he going to play left-handed? Is he going to play right-handed? Is he going to... Um, Quit when there's 10 reds left. Mm. Who knows? That's why I watch snooker. And all the other snooker players, yeah. it's all about Ronnie O'Sullivan. Controversy, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Football, we talk about the 66, the World Cup. Was the ball over the line? Yeah. Now they're bringing in video technology for that, and that's a good thing. But then, now we're talking about, shall we bring in replays or video technology for fouls, penalties and ball? Do that, where's the controversy? Yeah. Where have people got to talk about in the pub? 606, where are the fans? I think the boxing this week, Bellew Hay, mm-hmm. all I've seen a week, they hate each other. They want to smash each other's heads in. You know, that's controversy. I watched the sofa, on the sofa last night, a TV programme, loved it. I was engrossed because what's going to happen? They'll probably hug each other after the fight, you know, like with, with mutual respect. There's so much, I think, controversy in cricket when that guy, who was the guy that got banned? It was the guy that got I'm banned? Here, I'm here. I'm here. The next ball, everybody's watching. What's going to happen? No? It's interesting. I mean, I agree with you to a point, but let's just try and break it down because the decision review system in cricket, I think, has enhanced the game. In tennis, you now have... I disagree. Go on. I disagree. One of, one of the things I love about cricket is... Oh, it's not a gentleman's game, let's, let's be honest. It's, it is about winning. But the umpire's decision is final. Let him make his decisions. Let's have that football where they run up to him and they shout and they scream and they swear at him. Let's keep that. Let's keep that umpire. Let's look after him. Let him make his decisions. We don't need technology in the cricket. Where was it? Stuart Broad edged it. Yeah, one, yeah. Didn't walk. Tell you what, 
I was engrossed in that for the next two or three days. But also, like, you, yeah. you, because you it was controversy. I agree with Robbie that sport needs controversy. That's what gets it into the public eye. That's what gets people talking, gets it in the newspapers, gets the headlines. But you can't say, oh, let's have a little bit of controversy. Let's just have a little bit. And then, oh, well, that's too far. You're either in or you're not. You mentioned the boxing, Hair Bellew, on the weekend. It's a fight which I probably won't watch. I refuse to pay. But, <laughs> right? However, it's lost me a little bit. I'm a boxing fan. But this, this to me, when you talk about controversy, has gone too far. You've got two men who are adults. One's about my age, late 30s. Others a little bit younger. They're talking about, this is sport, but they're talking about physically hurting people. And I'm not just saying, I'm going to land a left and a right on you. They're going into detail. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to put your lights out. And they're getting personal. I don't like that. We had the same with, um, what was the fight Hey had when they had to separate them by a cage in the press conferences. Even these two, they're throwing punches at press conferences. I, I, I think it's a terrible, terrible advert for sport. And if you look at boxing on the other hand, Anthony Joshua, right? Mm. Anthony Joshua. You talk about a sport in boxing, which has had its moments. People think it's it's dark, it's it's corrupt. There's been a lot going on over the years in boxing. Yeah. Anthony Joshua is the complete opposite of that. He's a sportsman. He's got a personality. He's clean living. He's a role. Although he punches people in the head, he is a role model for kids. Yeah. The way his dedication. So on one hand, you got this fight which is making all the noises to sell tickets. Anthony Joshua could walk into Wembley Arena tomorrow and sell it out without any controversy. Don't you think? It, and so really, it depends on the type of controversy. I mean, for me, my the, love, the less my... of the sport or the less of the event, the more controversy you need. It's all about selling tickets and hype. But even then, it depends on the type of controversy. I mean, surely you'd agree that, for example, in road Chisora, cy- Chisora, well, that's take, take take road cycling. Yeah. when drugs were endemic in the peloton and you just didn't know whether the person who was winning was winning because they had worked hard and had tremendous ability or because they had the best chemist. In athletics, think of how that's undermined our love of a fantastic sport because you don't know if you can believe what you're seeing. In boxing, I remember my love of boxing, which was huge, was really undermined when Pernell Whitaker fought Julio Cesar Chavez. It was a massive bout in the 1990s. Pernell Whitaker boxed his socks off. It's a fantastic performance. One of the best I've ever seen. The judges had been nobbled, in my opinion. Most controversial scoring decision of my lifetime. And they scored it, I think I'm right in saying, a draw. Front page of Sports Illustrated was robbed. Those kind of controversies, I think, really undermine the dynamic for sport. But I want to just agree with you, Robbie, for a sec, that refereeing controversies, for me, are central to the appeal of the sport. I know a lot of purists disagree with this, Mm. but you listen to 606. You look at the comments at the bottom of the webpage. Look at Twitter and how Mark Clattenburg will dominate the debate. I think part and parcel of being a football fan is getting irked and irritated and debating some of these deep control. It's part of the sort of soap operatic nature of the game. But you've just said in cricket... The review yeah. system has come in and made it better. It's a well, deep... no, because you don't get the controversy. When you get the umpires, you get the controversy, what you're talking about within football. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. Is that it, For me, it's really ironic. In, in, in tennis, for example, just to move... But isn't cricket Where... black or white, though? It's cricket's black or white. Football's not. Why? So cricket... So the ball passes in line, it's going to go on to the stumps. That's clear. No, it's not, though. If the umpire's making the decision, it's not. He's, it's, it's what he thinks. If he edges it... He's edged it. If it's a no ball, it's a no ball. In football, if you if you go up to a, a referee in in the in the stand 
That's just his opinion. It's not clear. It's not black or white. You could have three men debating it. In cricket, it's black or white. In, out, court, no, yes. Football's different, isn't it? Am I right, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, just going back to the boxing, you can listen to the fight free on Saturday night if you want oh, to fight yeah, live, yeah, yeah, yeah. in case you don't want to subscribe, well, you don't well, want to play. Matthews. So um, you would take all the decisions, you would revert back to umpire's decision, that's it? Yeah. Really would? I, I, I genuinely would. I, I think it's one of the charms of the game. I think it's... I've fallen foul of possibly one of the worst decisions ever when I was in New Zealand. I got caught behind, and I must admit, I was probably half a foot from it. But I hit the ground at the same time, and I got given out, and I just walked off. I'll be honest with you, I thought I'd hit it. <laughs> and then afterwards, the umpire came up to me and says, oh, thanks for just walking off and not making a thing of it. I said, yeah, you're right, mate. Shocker there, wasn't it? Just rewinding to what Freddie was saying, that he is OK with the fact that he was given out. In fact, you walked when a possible decision review review would have said, you know what, you weren't out. And I think that a lot of top athletes feel a deep sense of injustice if they're wrongly sent off in a football game because the referee's got something wrong. How did you feel when you were given a decision that was incorrect and it oh. compromised you? Did you not oh, think I bet that you point, took it really well, didn't you, Rob? I bet I you was, oh, never mind, mate. I would, I would verbally abuse the referee. Yeah, but I, I just... I, so you didn't like controversy at that point? I can't get my head round this. What? You didn't like the controversy of a refereeing decision when it went against you. Of course not, no. I wanted to smash the referee's head. So it's as a pundit, you take a step back <laughs> and you say, as a pundit, rather than as a player, you take a step back and you say, even though that's terribly unjust in this particular situation, it's great for the sport. <laughs> Come oh. on, Rob. You're so clever, Matthew. Oh. Um, <laughs> shock can, you, can, you, can you repeat that question, please? <laughs> I need time to think about it. You, so you, think a deci- you can understand why sports people, professional athletes, yeah. want to take the controversy out of refereeing decisions, most of them, because they don't want to be on the wrong end of one. They, yeah, they're they're yeah. purists at heart. It's when you leave the sport and you become a pundit, you can see, actually, controversy is one of the strands that makes sport Yeah, if, if I was still playing and I, and I went in the box and somebody fouled me and I knew it was a penalty and went home, I wouldn't be thinking, yeah, you know, controversy is good for the sport. I'd be raging. I'd be raging. I wouldn't speak to my wife for three days. Don't get me wrong. When I've been given out and I'm not out, I am raging. I'm not happy about it. But that's 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 what it is. That's that's how cricket is played. The umpire is in a position of power. He tells you what's going on. You can't question him. That's how it is. Was any any controversy in table tennis? Like you know, did the table fall away or up or down or what? Over the bats had enough contours on, but the balls broke. You know when you get a split ball, you can bounce on the ground. You can hear it. You're gonna roll it under bat. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But just take a step back for a second about controversy, because one of the things that I've noticed as a journalist. You go to interview a top sports person, man or woman, anywhere in the world, and there'll be a PR advisor who sits in on the interview. They're so worried you're going to ask a question and they might give a response that is controversial. They like to police the answers vigilantly. And it sanitises the interaction between journalists and athletes. Because often, I think this is a reason, the athletes endorse a particular product and they've got a commercial relationship and they're just worried that if the sportsman becomes controversial, it will undermine their commercial appeal. Take Tiger Woods. Never said anything that could have been misinterpreted. Where do you sort of stand on this idea that sports people are becoming sanitised? Yeah, we've been there, haven't we, Freddie? I think... One of the times I told the truth in a in a press conference was after a Wales defeat, and I come out and John Toshat was a TV pundit, and you know he was quite 
not great about our side. And I come out, I was Mark Hughes' last game, and I said, I hope John Toshak doesn't get the Wales job because of A, B, C, D. And I was honest, and I didn't want him to get the job. And I didn't think he would have got the job. He got the job, and I never played for Wales ever again. So I was being honest, and yep. so I could understand why people in the in 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 the limelight in the sporting world say the cliched things because anything they say will get taken out of. You know? uh, can I just give you a bit of credit? We argue a lot, but that, I think that's one of the reasons you found such a great niche in the media. A lot of the pundits in football before you came along, they were saying cliched. Yep. It was pretty obvious. Yeah. That I don't want to offend anybody. Yep. I think coming in, you've identified a way. You know, not everyone loves you. No, I know. I think not you that. said ninety-five percent of people on Twitter <laughs> don't. I know that. But that is. But that, that, that yeah, right. Now, Freddie, just last one on this. Have you ever been in a situation where you've you've been honest, you've been candid, and like Robbie, it's come back to bite you? And have you ever therefore policed what you've said and been a bit smart in order to avoid controversy? Yeah. Um, the th- thing is now, right? I I watch the TV and I watch cricket. I'm not. A, I don't watch across every sport, but I do watch cricket, and I see the lads after a day's play, right? And they they start talking, and I know what they're gonna say. Yeah. If they've won, they'll talk about the team ethic and the team, and everyone's contributed and how hard they've worked, and it's brilliant. Yeah. And if they get beat, they'll talk about the positives. Yeah. And I, I'll sit there. I know what you're gonna say, and I get frustrated, but then I have a reality check. I used to do that. That is exactly <laughs> what I did. Because what happens is you sat in a press conference. Andrew Walpole, bless him. He was the press officer. He walks in. He says, oh, they might speak to you about this. Tell them that. Tell them this. This is where I'm trying to guide you to speak. And you sat in a press conference. And you've just lost your third test match in Australia. You've lost the ashes. And you're trying to think of a positive. <laughs> and they just are on. So you just end up just making it up. And then you don't even answer the question. What I used to do was I just used to talk and talk and talk. I know I'm here for 20 minutes. If I do 18 minutes of the talking, you're not asking very many questions. That was my tactic. Yeah. All right? Mm. That's one. I fell foul of it a little bit once. I was playing um, at Old Trafford in a one-day international against Zimbabwe when I was about 20, 21. And I'll be honest with you, if you looked at me, you probably wouldn't have thought I was a professional sportsman. I was a big one. I put a little bit of weight on. There was a piece in the Sun newspaper in the middle pages, and it was me and Lennox Lewis, right? <laughs> Lennox Lewis was about to have his big fight of his career. He was ripped. We're the same height. We were the same weight, but a very different build, right? So it's got Lennox Lewis's reaches, whatever it is in inches. Flint off, reach for the pies. And it was, <laughs> it was all this. And I've gone out, I've fielded, I've won man of the match against Zimbabwe. Not my greatest achievement, but I hit a few sixes, got man of the match, and then I did the after-match interview. And I'm there with Paul Allott from, from Telly who's at Lancashire, and he asked me a question. I didn't even answer him. I just said, you know what, mate? Not bad for a fat lad, eh? (laughs) (laughs) And then just got, that was my interview. And then I got hammered. Hammered. I got hammered. So you've got to play lip service. But just one last thing for me on controversy is in my sport in cricket, it's, it's sad that it needs controversy. Because we're competing with football, the national sport. Cricket's ranked probably third sport in the country. We need to get headlines. And the biggest headlines in cricket of the past probably few years, one has been whatever happened with Kevin Peterson sacking. Um, I don't think... I I can't really comment because I've heard Kev's side, but I don't hear the other side. And everyone's summarising. Kevin's saying he did not, which... Come on, let's be honest. He's done something probably not 
as much as what he deserved to be sacked. And then the other one Robbie alluded to as well was the betting. Even though it was so bad for cricket and it cast it in such a bad light Mm. that this lad's been bowling no balls for cash. Yeah. However, what was everybody talking about? Mm. Everyone was talking about cricket. It put cricket on the radar for people. And it's so sad. It has to come to that. Yeah. For the sport, which I don't get me wrong, I love to be in the public eye. I think controversial um, works both way, both ways. Mm-hmm. For me, I've said about the Toshat one, and I was controversial. And the reason why I was because of the times when I would do stuff to be controversial because I knew of my future career would hopefully be in the media. But it backfired once when I was compared to Maldini playing for Wales, and I went along with it when. I threw, they compared my him. I was playing for Crew or, or just signing for Leicester. X amount of pounds a week. He's on a million. I am on 100. Paolo? Pa- Maldini. Paolo Maldini. Yeah, yeah. So they're comparing the greatest. Um, what, you? Yeah, because it was exactly. Ex- you say mate? Exactly. <laughs> what were they comparing? You're inside leg or something? <laughs> really? Exactly. Exactly. Because he was, he was this. Legend of Italian football, and I was this guy at Crew for Wales, yeah, or just signed for Leicester. He was on a million pound a year, I was on 100 pound a week. He had a Ferrari, I had a Fiesta. It was this kind of thing. <laughs> then, didn't you? I tossed his shirt away into a bush. It was just because this was the thing. Oh, God, Robbie, you're, you're game for a laugh. You just tossed this shirt away in the bush. I'd done it, and then I got kicked out of the Wales squad. Do, do you know what? I mean, and that put me on the map. Do you know what? I had never... This, don't, don't take this one away, no, it's not a dig. No. I had never heard of you. Because, I, I, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not into football, I'm not yeah. a football fan. Then all of a sudden, I watched this segment of this footballer called Robbie Savage. Mm. I didn't know it was that fella's shirt, throwing a football yeah. shirt into the bushes. And my instant... I remember, I remember, I remember watching it. My instant response to myself was, what is he doing? Yeah, I know. Why has yeah. he done that? Yeah. That was controversial because I was. Here you are now. It was. It was not set up, but that was what I was told to do. I was young. I was naive. Yeah. It was controversial, but that's now in the history of my life one of the big controversial things, which has put me on the journey to where I am now. Well, I don't want to be. Too, I don't want to be too controversial by saying time's up. No, oh, no, thank you. really? It's been great. We've had it all this week. We've had uh, Redgrave, as ever, Ferguson too many times, Albert Camus, Cephalos, one of the Cephalos, Thank, uh, yeah. Thank you for listening. If you're hearing this on Five Live, you can download the podcast for an extended version of the show at the Five Live website and all the usual places. Please use the hashtag FredSavSide to get in touch. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.